teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Lord God, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for your love for us, the goodness and the grace that you have poured out through Christ. Father, I thank you that you don't just come alongside of us, but God, you inhabit and indwell your people with your spirit, that you may transform us and change us from the inside out. So God, I thank you for our pastor. I thank you for the ministry you've called him to. I thank you for his humility and his willingness to be taught and trained and grow in you each and every day. God, there is just a, a spirit of humility and wisdom that, that you have blessed him with. And so, God, today as we go through these questions, would they, uh, would they be fun? Would they be enlightening? Would they honor you? And would our hearts, God, discern what we need in the midst of all of this? And also, God, if we hear a question, and maybe it, it's like, well, I have no issues in that area, or I'm never worried about that. But, God, there might be a man in our life, or a lady in our life, or a kid in our life, that, that is actually going to walk into that circumstance or walk into that situation. So give us ears to hear from you and give us your wisdom today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can I say a little something about Please the retreat? I uh, just want to say to you guys, good to see you obviously this morning, but um, anything you can do to get signed up for that retreat is an awesome thing. And none of us have time for it, right? Everybody's got <laughs> something else going on. Everybody's, uh, but to be able to sign up for that, and I'll give you a quick little story. My dad, um, I led him to the Lord a few years back and he went on a men's retreat because somebody invited him. And he went on this men's retreat, and he came back to my house, and he said, I have some questions for you. And I said, okay. So we sat on my back porch, and he had his Bible, which kind of freaked me out because he didn't usually have his Bible. I was like, uh, what's, what's, is this about your will? You know? um, and he said, what do I need to do to be saved? Wow. And that was, that was my dad's question after going to a men's retreat after somebody just like you invited him to go. Um, and so don't underestimate even inviting people that don't know the Lord. What happens when you get somebody who doesn't know the Lord around some men that do? That comes back, and I mean, it's clear as a bell. What do I need to do to be saved? And I got to lead him to the Lord right there on the back porch, which was great. And um, we had some Skype discipleship for about a year because he lives in Louisiana. And it was just a great, great time. So anyway, sign up for that retreat. That's a great word. Um, Real quickly, uh, I was asked a question when I came in, so it's not on the list here at all, but uh, where were you born? Uh, Houston. Houston, okay. Herman okay. Hospital. I'm as, as Houston as you can get. Born and raised in Houston, Herman Hospital. So where does yeah. the uh, Louisiana come in then? My dad's family all lives in Louisiana. They were so My dad grew up in Louisiana, so like grandparents, aunts, uncles, all of that is all Louisiana. And actually my mom's side too. So, um, And then my dad and mom met in Crowley, Louisiana, moved to Houston in, in 69 maybe. Um, because that's where the jobs were, basically, and then got a job here. And then it, he's, my dad stayed here about 40 years, um, and now has moved back to Louisiana, and my mom still lives here off the Beltway Okay, and goes to our church. You may see her on the bus. So if you see a, a lady on the bus, it yeah. looks a little bit, no, yeah. <laughs> it looks a little bit like Greg. Uh, treat her nicely. Uh, you may be it's your pastor's, pastor's mom there. Well, let, let's start off. Uh, it, this is it's kind of an odd question, but do you drink coffee or any kind of caffeine, or do you limit and abstain from it, and why? Yeah, that's great. Um, I drink about probably two or three cups of coffee a week, um, so I'm, but I'm totally off caffeine, um, so that is an interesting question. I, I Maybe I'll have a Coke every once in a while, 
Um, but I, I, what I found is I was drinking coffee in the mornings, and I was trying to prepare in the mornings, and I'm already hyped up enough. So I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? All right, let's go. You know, and it was just too much going in me. So I'm, I'm total decaf coffee. If I can have a caffeine-free Coke, I probably have a Coke once or maybe once every two months now. Um, I'll ruin your Coke life. Uh, every Coke you drink takes 30 minute, th- 23 minutes of working out to offset the sugar. And so I just decided I just didn't want to work out that much. I'm saving up for an Iron Man. Yeah. I'm saving so, it up for an Iron Man. There you go. Yeah, save it up. Yeah, and then you just <laughs> drink it and go. So, uh, so kind of health reasons um, and then also focus reasons for me um, with caffeine. Okay. Do you have a uh, favorite Bible verse or passage? Yeah. Uh, John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. And the church actually gave me a a framed picture of that verse, and it's when you come down the stairs from our house. We have a two-story house. You come down the stairs. It's right there at the bottom of the stairs. So he must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist is saying that. Um, so I want God to increase in my life, and I want my myself mm-hmm. to decrease. Uh, personal question here a little bit deeper. Has there ever been a tragedy in your life that God has used as a blessing? You know, I thought about that question. Um, I thankfully have been pretty tragedy-free. Um, you know, there, I haven't had any real close to me people die, thankfully, and not in tragic ways. Um, probably the best way to answer that would be, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, maybe nine, um, Kelly and I had a miscarriage and that was, that was pretty, we went through a season of death. Her mom had cancer and the day that, that Kelly had the procedure for, for the, uh, for the miscarriage, um, her mom arrived at our house six hours later to begin MD Anderson treatment for mm-hmm. cancer, and and or six I said six months later six hours later, whatever whatever so same day, and then six months later her mom was dead, so uh, that wasn't the hurt of, I mean I obviously mourned my mother in law's death but that wasn't that that deep wound so I'd say the miscarriage is probably, the place that was the deepest tragedy and what that made how that changed me. Um, is one, um, it made me really love my kids even more, you know, of realizing the specialness of life. And then two, it made me realize the soul can define what life in the womb is for you, you know. And what I mean by that is if you were to ask Hillary Clinton, um, and not to make this political, it's not what I'm trying to do, but when Chelsea Clinton was pregnant and they were, if you remember, they were saying, we're going to be grandparents and all this stuff. There's a lot of news about that. Hillary Clinton would have grieved a miscarriage. You see what I'm saying? And, and if you don't want me to talk about Hillary, just pick person X. There's something in your soul and your heart that grieves the loss of life, and you know that that's different than a mass being removed of cells from you know uh, a bunion on your foot. It's different. And, and that really showed me, um, not that I needed to, to be convinced of it, it just... Show me one more step of this this child's life, and we look forward to meeting that baby in heaven one day. You know, so that's good. Um, as far as uh, three or four guys asked, since you work on Sunday, how do you Sabbath? How do you Sabbath? That's a great. Um, you know, pastoring. There's a deacon in our church, and he says this all the time. He says, "Pastor, we'll kill you if you let us." And what he means <laughs> is, I know isn't that terrible. Uh, but he means it in love, and this is what he means. There's so many activities at the church and so many needs that if I don't make myself get out of it, we'll kill you if you, if, if you let us. And so um, pastoring 
is a difficult thing because you don't have a typical schedule like like a Saturday, Sunday. So I take Fridays, and most of our ministers take Fridays off. So Friday, Saturday is my schedule. And I try to let Friday really be that Sabbath um, time. And so the kids are in school. Kelly and I will get lunch together. Uh, we'll we'll uh, take a nap. I'll take a nap. I'll do whatever I want to do um, on that day that's just refilling and refreshing. And then the kids come home, and then I'm kind of ready for, we call it Friday night family fun night. And sometimes that's just watching a movie. Sometimes that's going, getting ice cream. You know, it could be anything. And so Friday is when I really try to Sabbath. Um, and then with today's culture, it's hard to ever get away. So um, in that Sabbath, I've also given myself the freedom that I'm going to get a text message. It's going to happen. There's going to be an email. But that's different than I'm doing all that. Does that make sense? I've tried to take my phone and lock it up in the safe, and but then I'm stressed out because I don't know if the church is on fire, right? <laughs> so, but everybody is is very good about my my assistants. They don't call me unless it's big time. So I can feel that freedom to to be free of it. And so Friday's my day with that, and and it sounds almost bad dad world, but it's better for me that the kids aren't home for me to Sabbath. Because sometimes their stuff is not really what I would be choosing to do. I'd do it because I love them. But if I didn't have kids, I wouldn't be showing up at, you know, a football game at 9 a.m., <laughs> you know, or a soccer game to watch other people's kids, you know. So um, so that's how I do it. Yeah. How one, can I say one other yeah, thing? Yeah, uh, then I have a sabbatical time that you know as well. Um, but I do something you might not know of. The first Thursday, second Thursday of every month, I do a thing called Time with the Father. And I go away to hunt retreat, which you've probably been to. It's typically where I go. And I fast and I pray for the day. And I work on the ministry, not in the ministry. So I'm looking at, okay, what are we going to do macro? And so that's how I know we're talking about Isaiah and here's where we're going with it. And we're going to do difference makers all years. And a lot of ministers don't do that. They're always in the ministry. They never get up high enough to work on the ministry. And I do that once a month. And something I'm telling you guys Every month something comes up that makes me tempted to leave that day, you know, to, well, that luncheon, I need, ah, that's the only day you can meet. And I, I mean, I'd like, I got to hunker down to do that because something will always steal your Sabbath. And if you're not very, if you're not ironclad on it, you're, you're never going to get it. How do you choose the men or men that you've sort of let into your life where you say, hey, I need prayer they maybe hold you accountable. Like what, how do you choose those types of men? Mm-hmm. What did you look for in those men? Yeah, um, I, when I first got here, I had what I called a wisdom team. And it was five guys that I would call um, one each, a different one each week. Because I didn't want one guy feeling like, man, Greg's on the phone again. Gosh, you know, so <laughs> I figured, you know, because you can wear people out too with, with needs and calling and different things. So every week I had a different person. And I looked at them as godly men over a long period of time. You know, had they been walking with the Lord over a long period of time? Men that I would really receive their wisdom from. Because, I mean, let's all be honest. There's some guys, if they get in your business, you'll be like, yeah, but what do you know, right? So you got, you got to receive. And then three, um, I really wanted them in my context, it's just my context, to love me first and what I did second or third, Right? So it wasn't they loved Houston's First Baptist, therefore they wanted to encourage Pastor Greg. They loved Greg, and the only reason they were interested in Houston's First Baptist at all was 
I w- just happened to be here. It was just part of my life. So there may be somebody in your life that you've got a lot of business connections with a godly guy, but there's there's other interest in there that you got to look and say, okay, does he know and love me for me, no matter what my vocation or what my place in life is, or does he? Are those two kind of too mixed together? Now, it doesn't mean I don't have friends in the church. I consider you know all of you and many of you friends, but when you get to that deeper thing, you've got to build it over a long period of time and feel like you're personally loved, not um, just what you do or who you are or chapter of life that you're in. And, and I'm just going to ask a follow-up to that because yeah. I'm curious. I, 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 don't, I think I know the answer, but are, is there a regular meet with, with, a, with a smaller group of guys? Is there a regular place that you can go and, and you can absolutely take off every filter and just mm-hmm. share with them in a safe place, do you have that? And, I and do, but it's not Tuesday at 2. We all meet at Starbucks XYZ or IHOP. So what I have is more of a couple guys in my life that I talk to each week, really, and there's that open door to be able to say, hey, here's, here's where I am um, right now. And so that's, that's the regularity of it more than four of us meet at Tuesday at 2, you know, at, at place yeah. X. That's not that's not really uh, that's not a part of it. But connecting with them on a regular basis is a part of it. So 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 hear that we, we can mess up with saying I'm in an accountability group, but I think God wants us to learn to lead accountable lives with accountable friendships. That's the goal. And yeah. so it sounds like you have a lot of accountable friendships, yes. but not necessarily an accountability group. Right. And so if you don't have that in your life, I, I will just tell you it's not just for pastors. There's pressure on all of us in so many areas, and, and as a men's minister, my heart is that we would walk together strongly with integrity and passion. And so just th- those types of men he mentioned, look through your life and ask God. If you don't see him, just ask God, show you. Yeah. In a, and so th- thanks for yeah. sharing that. And, you know, mine, mine are uh, most of them are out of town, and mm-hmm. most of them I've known for 15, 20 years now. Wow. You know, so, I mean, it's it's – it's not just somebody I thought was cool I met last month, and that can be, that can happen. But it, it's somebody for a long period of time that they understand the single part of me, the married part of me, the dad part of me, the breakaway college ministry part of me, the Houston's first part of me, um, and and all those things. That's you know we're all kind of a stew, aren't we? You know you you pull up on a different day and you might get carrots one day and you might get onions the next day. You know, and so. Somebody that understands all that stew and has really watched it been cooked and stirred, and they've been a part of stirring it, that, that's been a blessing in my life to be able to, to have that. That's great. It's a great picture. Um, how, can, how can we, and several questions were in the same vein, how can we discern God's call to serve somewhere or even something more radical like actually quitting our corporate job to serve somewhere full-time? How can you discern that? It's a great word. I would put it in two categories. One is every believer is called to greater depth and impact in the Lord. Okay, so every believer is called to greater depth and impact in the Lord. Then a portion of believers are called to vocational ministry, right? And sometimes people get those confused. The Lord is calling you to a deeper impact and a deeper relationship with the Lord, and you go, I got to go to seminary, you know? 
and and that sure could be the deal. And and I'm all for seminary. Please tell Dr. Fong I'm all for seminary. <laughs> but um, but at the same time, uh, Bruce would say this. I, I believe that we need to have Christians in every workplace and every different vocation that are walking with deeper impact and deeper heart for the Lord. And so there's some folks we need to actually, we want to talk you out of going to seminary, right? We want you to use your, your, your influence that you already have um, that's there. And so I think the way that you discern that is there's three things about calling. And if, if we could just talk about this, this could be a bit macro in any kind of calling. The three things I think about ministry calling. One is you sense God wants you to do it. You just, there's just a feeling like this is what I'm supposed to do. And if, if I don't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I, I sense that in my life when, when the Lord was taking me through this process. Number two is I want to do it, right? So if God's calling me to do it, now I might be scared of doing it, but deep in my heart I'm like, I really want to do this. I get fired up when I get to do this. I'm looking forward to those times more than I am these other times. And then number three, when I do it, being a vocational ministry or using your spiritual gifts, people are blessed by it. So if God wants me to sing and I want to sing and everybody leaves the room when I sing, you're not called to sing, okay? So (laughs) please don't. Give the rest of us a break, all right? Quit calling John Bolin and saying God wants you to sing, okay? you're You're not a good singer. So... But at the same time, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean everything's got to be perfect. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that three-legged stool of calling will be that, be that place to be able to do that. Um, and you can make a difference right where you are as a man. Think of, of all the people we have in the scriptures, David, um, you know, Moses, all these folks that, that were men of God that made a difference in the culture in, um, in macro sense. So if you're, if you're wondering if God wants you to be in ministry, quote-unquote, here we're all in ministry, right? Every one of us is in ministry. Some of us get paid to be in ministry. So you keep going that route as long as you can with what you're doing until you just can't do, I can do no other than, than to do um, something in full-time, 40 hours a week, frontline ministry. Um, and and that's, that's, that's what I would encourage you on. And if that is, man, praise the Lord. It's an awesome, awesome vocation and career. Um, it's, it's hard to make a switch the older you get, as you know. But um, at the same time, if God wants you to make that switch, then, then go for it. But just don't leap into it. Just continue to grow in depth and impact and then go, you know what? I, I can't do these two things anymore. I'm going to do, I need to make this, this uh, change. Okay, uh, several men wanted to know what is a biography. If you're going to recommend a biography for a man to read that has inspired your life, what would that be? And a second one was, is there a recent religious book that you would recommend to a man that's really wanting to grow spiritually? Maybe they've been in church a long time, but now they're like, hey, I want to grow. What would be your recommended biography and recommended recent religious Um, book? George Mueller, um, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. He started orphanages all over Great Britain, and his, his thing was he never asked uh, for any resources of money. He would just pray, and God would just bring it through. And so um, he's been real influential in my heart and life through the years. So George Mueller, and there's, there's a lot of different ones on him. The, probably the best one that I've read was by a guy named like, uh, gosh, is it? I'm going to take a guess here, but T-I-E-R-S-O-N, Tearson. 
Um, I think is the guy's name, and if not, try Pearson. <laughs> and if not, the cover's kind of yellow. <laughs> you know, uh, could just be an old copy. By the way. It might be an old copy, and I think there was initials at the beginning of his name. But um, if you, I've read a few biographies on George Mueller, and you know, it's amazing. If you read three books on the same subject, you will become an expert in the field, right? Most people have never read three books on any one subject, you know, besides in school. So you read three books on George Mueller, and and you'll know a ton about him. Um, so, but he he'd be the biography that, not that you got to read three, but uh, he'd be a he'd be a guy that I would recommend to you to read about. Um, it's always good to read biographies of dead people um, <laughs> more than alive people. Um, I think sometimes biographies of alive people get skewed because they're still alive. Dead people, we can pull out all the bad and all the good and see what the fruit was of their life. We don't we don't none of us know the fruit of our life. The jury is still out, right, on every person that's alive. I mean, it's been dead 100 years. We've seen the fruit. We can, we can look at it a little bit deeper. Um, the recent book that I would encourage you to read uh, would be um, uh, two, two books. Can I give two? Um, one, hey, Bill Hybels. Okay, well. Simplify by Bill Hybels is a real easy read if you, um, if you want – uh, just kind of a beginning days of Christianity, not beginning days. I enjoyed it myself. I've been a Christian for a while, but it's just it's just good core building blocks elements of of Christianity. That's great. And then Mark Batterson, B A T T E R S O N, Circle Maker. It's a real good book on prayer, um, and uh, that would be a tad deeper than the Simplify, but um, but also a good book. Okay, and before we push off into the uh, weightier questions that are getting ready to come, Uh-oh. how do you hold the balance between reading for breadth and reading for depth in your Bible reading? Yeah, that's because good. A lot of guys commented that you you teach at both levels as a pastor. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Yeah, um, I would say your Bible reading time personally needs to be highly devotional doesn't mean that you don't get into the depths of things. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that time when it's just you and Jesus, that's not when you need to figure out the difference between Artaxerxes and Xerxes, okay? That can be in a study time in a different ways when you're preparing for, for something you're going to lead or you're like, you know, that's interesting. Let me think a little bit more on that. But I think if you, if you just go ahead and you miss heart in your times with the Lord, I think you're going to wilt, Long-term, you're going to wilt. Now, you may be a beautiful flower that's wilting and have a lot of knowledge, but you're going to wilt. And so that, that can be a problem. I, I would prefer to see you blossom and, and kind of get confused on Artaxerxes and Xerxes and go, now tell me when the Babylonian captivity was again. Now what? Now if, you, if you're so devotional, you're like, now what's the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Now then you've gone too far, okay? There's some <laughs> basic things we need to understand and, and be able to do. But... Um, so, so do that. Now, secondly on that, here's what will determine it. Your personality is what's going to determine a lot of the ways that you interact with God. We don't like to, to admit that. You know, We want to over-spiritualize it. But your personality, if you're an engineer, if you're a CPA, you're going to get a lot lawyer. Um, if you get in, those, that's kind of your deal. You're going to be a lot more likely to get deeper into and be like in Isaiah 
or Habakkuk for eight months, you know, and do every Bible study that was there and then sign up for a precepts and then be upset because it wasn't deep enough. And, you know, and then Bible study <laughs> fellowship wasn't enough for you. And you're going to kind of Navy seal for Jesus your whole life, you know, under the barbed wire of shots going off. And you're going to stick your head up and go, you sissies over there, you know. And so you got to be careful that if that's your bent, if you're a stock analyst, that's going to be your personality is going to affect here. Same way if you're an artist or you're in marketing or you're a sales guy or you're, a, you're kind of the client interaction face, you're going to love the narratives. You're going to love Jesus interacting with people. You're going to have two or three Bible verses that you just got on your desk, and those are your just mission statements for going and get them type stuff. So understand your personality and, and understand the strengths and the weaknesses of it. And try to lean into your strengths, but also try to be aware of your weaknesses and bolster between the two of them. So some people would come up uh, to me when I first got here, and this one guy, um, he was really into a pastor, I'll leave nameless, on podcast. And, man, he was on me all the time about, you don't teach like so-and-so, you don't teach like so-and-so. And I said, well, you know, does so-and-so live here in Houston? No. Does he have a church here in Houston? No. Now I told him this. This is what I kind of had enough. I was like, then you need to move. Hey, I thought we I thought yeah. we forgave each other. On yeah, that I know. Deal. Was, I'm still. Kinda, Why are you bringing that up again? Passive just, aggressive. You know, that just really. To, that, no. You can talk to me directly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, <laughs> but I was like, you know, I'm not him. You know, I mean, you're wanting me to channel, you know, a 70 year old scholar. I'm at that time. I'm a 34 year old college minister, right? So his personality was real projecting upon the rest of Christianity and really upon what the church needed to be. And that can be dangerous because in today's world, you can podcast everybody, right? And I really encouraged him. I said, you're, you're, I don't think you're going to be happy here. You need to find a church that looks like XYZ person, you know? And, and that's just going to – I know my lane. I know who I am. And I just got to be able to, to be true to who I am. So uh, in your Bible time reading, I try, lastly – And this is, I think, an important question, Eric, so I think you asked a good one. I try, this is going to sound weird, I try to separate my study and my devotional. Okay, and sometimes some pastors just say, no, life is life. Yeah, but what happens is if I'm doing too much study and I'm calling my, my sermon prep devotional, I'm really not thinking on the same tracks. I gotta sit and read a verse if that's what I wanna read. A chapter, if I ask what I want to read, you know, and let it, let it come together. Now, by the same token, let me say this. Where I'm teaching Isaiah, and I've been doing something a little bit different in my devotional. Now, I've been reading Isaiah in my devotional. But I'm teaching on Isaiah 6, and I'm in Isaiah 15 right now in, in my devotional this morning, what I read. So I'm, I'm just, it's coming and going, right? I'm not studying for it. I just thought, you know, this would, I'm going to try this and just see how this works. So I mix it up a little bit, too. So last bottom line, your personality will determine how you come to the Bible, okay? And that can be good and that can be bad. But the goal is to let the Bible, um, you know, touch us where we are and who God's made us to be. And some of you are very cerebral. And so you're going you're gonna to get into every Old Testament king. And some of y'all aren't as cerebral and you're a little bit more interactive with, with uh, social relationships and those sort of things. And that's cool too. But we got to be all reading you know, I put a dot, lastly, in the um, – every time I read a, a, a book of the Bible, I put a dot in the table of contents, and I put the date next to it. 
Because if not, what will happen is I'll read Philippians 50 times in two years, and I'll never get to Ezra, right? So I challenge myself with being able to do that. That's great. And just a, a side word, let, let humility guide us as men that, that we should not expect and dictate everyone else's spiritual growth and, and, and sort of be the critic. Like if I'm listening in a sermon, and this is what I saw in seminary, is, is I, would, I would go to church. I, I went to church to worship God and learn from others, but, but I'd be driving back with four other seminary students, and they literally would be, well, he didn't use that Greek word right, or he should have referenced this, this commentary. And it was like the spirit of the critic was there. And, and I was just like, I don't want my heart, I don't want my heart to be like that, because Jesus' heart wasn't like that. So let me just, just the word to say is let's give grace to one another spiritually. Let's cheer each other on spiritually. And let's just say, Lord God, you've made me, and, and, and how I connect with you is going to look different than how Pastor Greg does, but I celebrate. I celebrate how God and, and Greg, how y'all get together. Mm-hmm. And so as men, that's we good. want that humility. That's, an un, that's a very countercultural characteristic today is humility. And so if, if you just ask God, God, give me a humble heart. Give me a humble heart. I think would be huge. I think I'll give you two danger zones if y'all let me just be really black and white. Two danger zones we have um, in being critical and, and, and not being humble is one when you're young and you don't have enough experience to understand there needs to be grace involved in life, you know, so you're young and smart, that's a dangerous place to be, right? Because you don't have the experience to, to handle the knowledge. So young and smart is a dangerous place to be because you get critical and you can get prideful. Okay, now follow this. On the other end of the spectrum, old and too much time on your hands is the other place that it can end up, okay? Because now you've got all this wisdom, all this knowledge, but you don't have any place of application so you begin to have too much time on your hands, so now you begin to be critical of all of everybody else's misapplication. In the middle, when you got kids and stuff and work and all this, you don't have time to mess with any of that, right? So you're just kind of like, I, I don't care. Y'all do whatever you want to do. I got so much on my plate, I, I'm not worried about your plate. But when you're, when you're young and smart, you don't have enough experience to keep you, and in, in, you got to watch it there. And when you're old and have too much time on your hands and not enough application, you end up in those places. So most of the people that, that are critical in ministry situations are people who are not doing ministry. Not vocationally, but they're not serving, right? They're not a part of it. They're on the sidelines looking, but when you get into it and you got your small group and your thing that you're leading, you're like, this is harder than it looked, right, to get everybody there. So be careful if when you're heading towards or in either one of those sections, and you know, this one you can, we're all humans, but those are two danger zones, um, that we can experience, especially in church life. Okay, let me uh, let me ask here practically, and 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 you can reword this question because I I mean this, these were literally submitted. How do you love Muslims and hate Islam? So, as I said, we're we're going to leave all the nice stuff behind. No, here. that's good. Um, uh, let me see. I wrote down a. I remember where that was on this little. I probably I she, probably made it up. Get, I made it out of order. Okay. No, um, let me see. no, no, it's on here. Okay. Yeah, I, I got, I'll, I'll, I got it though. Um, one, I'd say rephrase your way of saying it. First off, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lead with I hate Islam. Um, you know, I would use words more like I disagree with Islam. There's theological differences between Islam and Christianity. Um, there's, there's hope in Christianity that's not in Islam. That's where I would go first, as opposed to an emotional descriptor of your views towards 
something else. We and that's where we're missing it. I think as Christians, if we respond emotionally at things that are um, theological in nature or uh, uh, thought process needed in nature, instead of uh, education intellectually, I think we we lose ground. Right? Well, I hate that. Well, I hate this. You know, and then you end up in this kind of seventh grade war over I hate country music. Well, I hate rock music, right? Well, it does it doesn't matter. Let's talk about what these are on these these different things. Let's have an intellectual response. So I'd say that. Then secondly, I would befriend Muslims. Um, it's going to take a long journey to get somebody who truly says they are a Muslim. I mean, they claim it, they practice it. You're probably not going to have an ee moment at the mall that they're going to convert, right? You're asking them to convert, you know, to unto death is basically and lose their entire family. And we're wanting to do that on a brush by at the mall, um, which I'm all for cold turkey evangelism. I do that a lot. But but you 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 got to be able to know that you got to build a relationship. I'd recommend the book, um, uh, Nabil Qureshi, who was here at our church when I was on sabbatical. We've got it in Corner Books called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And you'll find 200 pages of relationship is what you'll find in that. Um, and so that's what I would encourage you to do is to build that relationship with that Muslim um, and talk about the aspects of Christianity um, that of grace, of hope. It's not, and here's what we've done. We've, we've made Islam and Christianity a political argument, and it has those pieces. When it's a theological argument in the theology of Islam and the background of Islam, is not as on firm footing as Christianity. I told a Muslim cab driver we engaged in conversation. I said, how are you? Yeah, are you? I said, are you Muslim? Yeah. He goes, I'm fasting for Ramadan. I said, that's, that's really interesting. I fast too. As a Christian, you fast? Yeah, why do you fast? He asked me why I fast. Well, I fast so that I can really connect with the Lord. Um, you know, I fast so that an answer would come to a prayer. I fast to just say that I'm hungry for Jesus and knowing him in that personal relationship more. Oh, I said, why do you fast? I don't know. <laughs> Right? Well, let me tell you how you can know. So we had just a little cab driver conversation. And he was, wow, da, 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 da. And he was, you know, he kind of knew his stuff. I said, you know, there's 40 different authors and 66 books of the Bible. I said, you know what? I don't think it is, but if one of those authors was wrong, I still got 39 other authors in the Bible. If Muhammad's wrong, you've lost the whole Quran. Oh, I've never thought about it like that. You see how that's different than. I mean, you dudes, I can't believe y'all did 9-11. I'm sick of y'all, right? I mean, that's, that's not the deal. So I would reframe it. I'd build relationships. I'd do a little bit of study. I'd read that book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He does a great job in that. And I would, I would let that be a thing that your intellect grows. And as your intellect grows, then you're going to be able to be a more effective um, uh, witness for the Lord. Uh. With the Pope's recent visit to the U.S., should we listen more intently to what he says? Does he happen to have God's ear more than anyone else? Um, we should listen to what he says, um, but not as a word from God's mouthpiece. You know, I mean, I, I think we should we should be listening to what everybody says. You know, it doesn't mean we're doing what everybody says, but I, in my life, I need to be around more people that I disagree with. <laughs> you know, I need to listen more to people that are absolutely contrary, not saying that the Pope's that, 
but we need to be good listeners is what I'm trying to say with that. With the Pope, you've got to realize in, in Catholic theology, my understanding of it, you know, they call, he's the vicar of Christ, which means vicariously. So there's a pass down from God to Jesus, from Jesus to the Pope, from the Pope to the Bishop, from the Bishop to the Cardinal, or maybe it's Cardinal Bishop, I don't know the right order, down, and it all passes down until finally you get into that confession booth and the priest says, tell me your sins, you are forgiven. You come down and you receive that communion wafer and you are forgiven. This is the body and the blood. And so there's this process in which the uh, uh, Jesus comes down through, right? That's Catholic theology in its most basic form. So that's why the adulation of the Pope. You know, I think it'd be really cool to meet the Pope. If the Pope called me today and said, hey, I can meet with you two days in, uh, from now in Rome, I'd get on a plane, I'd go to Rome and meet with the Pope. That'd be a, neat. It'd be a good opportunity to, to share with. That'd be a cool thing. But I'm not going to freak out if he prays over one of my kids and think we just got a blessing from God. And so the the problems, uh, the, the positives of the Pope being in America, um, one, uh, isn't it awesome that we had a religious figure that was respected? Hmm. Right? Doesn't happen nowadays. Okay? Nobody, if the head of all the Protestants, you know, showed up and you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen quite like it happens with the Pope. So it's cool that we had a religious figure respected. The places he got to speak, cool. I mean, a religious figure of Christianity um, in, in the UN and in Congress, that's a big deal. Three, that he talked about life and family. Four, that he, we found out now he had a secret meeting with Kim Davis in Kentucky, regardless of what you think about that. That was a pretty risky step for him to take in our political environment. Those are all really cool things. I can get around those and go, very good, good job. That's awesome. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about traditional marriage. Let's talk about these sort of things. Now, if, if do I agree with him on baptism and sacraments and salvation? And, you know, no. But those things, I'm going to take what I can get in our culture on that. That's good. Negatives, people thinking he's Jesus coming through the streets. That's a problem, right? That's idol worship. That's not good. Um, People uh, freaking out about him being here and all those sort of things. That's not good. Him talking about climate change more than Jesus. That's not good. You know, him not saying about Christ and the cross and salvation. I mean, if I get in front of the UN, I can promise you I'm slipping in, you know, a lot of scripture and I'm talking about Jesus a lot, you know. So missed opportunity, right? Who cares what the Pope's thoughts are on climate change? I mean, really, at the end of the day. But, you know, so, but that's the political realm, right? So that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's where I think it, that's a negative place on that. So he doesn't have anybody's ear. We all have the priesthood of the believer. Holy Spirit lives in you. All of us can go straight to God through Christ and, and you know, respect him, respect your elders even, um, and think there's some good in it. But, uh, you know, that's not the only route to God. Yeah. I want to – a couple of these are, are more ministerial and, and they're – probably coming from real-life experiences, and then we'll come back to some more Scripture stuff. Um, what advice do you have regarding living with a spouse, a spouse, a spouse that doesn't know Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior? Mm-hmm. What advice? That's you're, great. You're the husband. Um, man, I thankfully have never been in that situation, <laughs> you know, with, with Kelly. I just want you to know she is saved. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I think on that... 
let me think how to answer it as concisely. I think if you love her well and shine with the Lord, you're going to make a tremendous impact. Don't look at every moment has to be a witnessing moment. You know, your life is a witness. Who you are is a witness. Um, that discussion is a witness to be able to do that. Invite her. Women love to go to things we invite them to come to, you know, for the most part, not everything, but to be able to be with us, to, to tell her about your companion needs, you know, that men, we need companionship with our wives. We need to sit, sit, sit shoulder to shoulder, and they need us to sit knee to knee, eye to eye. So you give her that love and that time and shine as a godly man with her and pray for her and don't try to overdo it. Um, that in every moment it's got to be Jesus, 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 but just living your life and then being able to be open to answer questions and to talk to her about that. And then if you have children, I think you're going to have to have a little bit of um, discussion with your kids of, of what's going on uh, in the relationship. Here's, here's what mom thinks. Here's what dad thinks. But statistically, if what dad thinks um, statistically is of greater influence than what, what mom thinks. Um, in the religious realms, so. Okay, and this is a, a related, but not the same person asked this at all, but as a father, husband, and man, what is one thing I can do spiritually to have the biggest impact on my family and my world? I would say prayer, and I'd say pray with your family, not just for your family. Pray with your family, not just for your family. Here's what I mean. We all pray for our families, and we should pray more, you know, for sure. But you pray with your wife, even is the previous question of a wife that doesn't know the Lord. You say, honey, let's, let's hold hands and let's pray about that. And, and you hold her hand and have that place of physical touch that's not, not sexual intimacy, but just sweet physical touch. And you, that's really what they are looking for a lot of times when we're looking for, for more. And you hold her hand and you pray for her. You put your arm around her and pray for her. You get with your kids and you put your hand on their shoulder. I put my hand on their heads a lot of times. I'll hug my daughter and pray for her. Um, I'll put my arm around my son. He's 13 now. And, and pray for him. And that physical touch combined with your words as dad going to God, I think is tremendously, tremendously powerful in their life. Um, and uh, obviously reading the scriptures as a family if you want to do that. But to, what we do is a daily light, our church devotional guide. We'll read that before bed. We'll read that at a meal. We'll put it in the car if we're all running out and we're going to, somebody, okay, you read this. And so there's my seven-year-old daughter practicing her reading, reading scriptures, the radio's down and we're doing that. So it's, it's, I think more family impact happens on the go than it does that you go Thursday at 7 p.m., no matter what's going on, we're having our family devotional. You know, <laughs> that's not going to be the best way to do it. So um, I think it's caught more than taught in those, those realms, but you, but you are that. But physical touch verbal prayer with them, I think, is a game changer. We are last 15 minutes, so I'm going to, in front of all these guys, could we, could we record, there, there's a couple of these that are bigger ticket items that sure. are longer than we're going to stick in, and I've held them off because I know that, because I, I know these are bigger items. Is it within your schedule, can we record them, and I can put them, we have a podcast of all of our teaching here, just record it, and then upload it. it if y'all would like, because we're not going to get to all of them. I, sure. But I do want to ask you this question. I, I know it's actually really happened in your life, so I want to ask it because this is coming from a real life. You've had this experience. Um, when you faced a time 
uh, with a man or when a man you respected and admired for his faith has fallen so low due to personal decisions, how do you continue to respect, and in, in this case, a father who has destroyed the home? In your case, it might not have been a father, but someone you've really looked up to and respected, made a really bad decision. How do you walk that out? Um, it, yeah, the father realm, beep. Uh, <laughs> the father realm is probably a different realm. So let me just talk about the, okay, and that hasn't happened in my life, right. but I've had friends that have fallen. Uh, this week, a guy I've been ministering to for 30 years told me he's having an affair. You know, I mean, that was this week. That was like crushing to me. I was like, ah, and he, I know he's not walking with the Lord and never has been those 30 years, but I've been, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a plotter. If, 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 if I've got, I got longtime friends and I'm still ministering. Another friend, this maybe show you how ineffective my ministry is to my friends, but he went into (laughs) rehab yesterday, you know, and we're texting about rehab and we've been friends for 30 years. So, um, that's not totally what you're saying, but I'm saying you've got to have a long-term look at your friendships with people. Um, and to be able to, to really come around them. So I think when somebody falls and they disappoint you, you've got to go through the grieving. There's a grief of losing who you thought they were, and you've got to grieve through that. And then once you're able to grieve through that to a certain point, not maybe to the end, then you come and you realize your role is to be a friend. Um, uh, this is all public, so I can share it. Uh, Dwight Edwards was my pastor at Grace Bible Church. He had an emotional affair. Um, Dwight's doing an awesome job of ministry here in town now. And I called Dwight, I texted Dwight, I was, you know, did everything I could. He wouldn't return my calls, he wouldn't text, he wouldn't come, you know, it just wouldn't happen. Then we finally got to meet together, and it was weird and awkward. And my goal, I told him, I said, my goal, Dwight, is to be in the foreword of your next book as a friend that stuck with you, you know. And what did that mean? I said, not really, but you're going to have a next book. That's my hope for you. You're going to be back in the game. I want to be the guy that was there with you, with many others, for a long period of time. Dwight came to our church for a while, um, and now uh, he's leading some other ministries and spent his first Christmas in Houston after his marriage fell apart at our house, eating Christmas dinner with us at our family, you know, and I just just loved him, still do today. And you just got to look at that longevity, and Kelly and I say this a lot, and this is in, you could take this in a lot of context, their problems are not our problems, because in a ministry family, we can have all this chaos going on and then come back and go, did you, uh, oh my, I, I talked to so and so and all, and then all of a sudden, we got issues. We're bringing all this junk back in, right? Their problems aren't our problems. I'm not having an affair. <laughs> You're not having an affair. We're good, you know? So you got to kind of leave it at the door in a sense. But you just have to have a longevity friendship with people um, and, and be, you're just one piece of a jigsaw puzzle. You're not the whole puzzle. And I think that's where you got to walk it out with that. That's good. Um, yeah, some of these are just, they're going to be too long. Uh, I'll try to be concise. Yeah, you're doing great. Um, this is a, a small one, but it's, it's election time, so let me just ask that. H- how should you or do you use the Bible as a guide for who to vote for in elections? Yeah. Um, uh, two, two things I'd say, trying to be brief so we can get to as many questions as possible. One, we're electing a politician, not a pastor. Okay, so you got to know that. And if you want to say we're electing a president, not a pastor, electing a mayor, not a pastor. So, you know, people would always say this in a funny thing, just as a joke. People say, well, you know, Bono's a Christian. I'd say, well, you know, Bono may be a Christian, but if he was on our staff, I'd fire him. You know what I mean? So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it goes down in the sense that 
there's a different thing when you're electing a pastor than when you're electing a president, okay? And this is what I mean, mean by this. We're not looking for the entirety of theology. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm seeing. Government, because we have left God, we have lifted up government. See also Saul, okay, in the Old Testament. And now government is who we look to. So now policy has stepped into the realms of theology, okay? Policy has stepped into the realms of theology. And where policy and theology merge, we as believers need to look at that column of overlap and say, what do you think about this, okay? So as easy examples, family and abortion, you know, what religious freedoms now, what do you say about this, okay? I'm going to have a problem if you're for abortion, if you're for, if you're not for traditional um, man and woman, and and I'm going to have a problem also too, what was said in the, the uh, press conference, uh, the president's press secretary that said basically the constitution trumps religious freedom is what he said yesterday. That's a problem for me, right? Because I can't bow to Caesar. I got to bow to, to God. And I think accommodations should be made for Muslims during Ramadan. I think accommodations can be made for Jehovah's Witness on saying the Pledge of Allegiance, if that's where it needs to go. I think accommodations need to make, be made in many different religious areas, and there has to be accommodations made in Christianity, right? So now, do I agree with all the other different religions? That's what I'm saying. Policy and theology have now begun to overlap, and so that's the first place I'm going to look, and here's why. I understand those things, and they are more clear to me than foreign policy is to me. I don't feel like I could speak real clearly on foreign policy, you know, or pick your other, you know, uh, issues. But I, I am able to speak very clearly, and I do feel like I understand very clearly these issues of theology and policy overlapping. It's not a trick question to me to ask, what is a man? That's not a trick question to me. What is a woman? That's not a trick question to me. Sperm and egg still produce life, right? That's not a trick question to me. So life is the multiplication of cells. Here's something interesting. Just think about this. Watch what happens with this Mars deal. Watch how quickly life is declared on Mars and life is not declared in the womb. Mm. So here's my statement. Let's have the same definition of life throughout the entire galaxy. If life on Mars is we found water and two molecules that split, you know, four billion years ago, then let's make that the same definition of life in the United States. But you see, there's a hypocrisy. Sin always has hypocrisy. So um, when you uh, go, go to vote, I would say look at those things. Charlie Poor in our church, uh, and I could ask him permission to send this out. This is pretty neat. He preached a sermon in 1958, okay, 1958. Um, and he said, my candidate is Jesus Christ. Here's what he, he sent this to me. His personal qualifications. He's the son of God, king of kings, and suffering savior. His past record, he sought, he saved, he secured. His future promises to forgive, to comfort, to give victory, eternal life, and many others. Despite their efforts, human leaders will invariably break their promises, abandon some policies, and disappoint their constituents. By contrast, my candidate, Jesus Christ, never varies, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and tomorrow and offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who by faith receive him. Jesus is worthy of endorsement without qualification. That's 1958. Wow. You can preach that today, couldn't you? The problem is not necessarily our society. The problem is humans. <laughs> right? See also Saul. And so that's where we are. So those are 
policy and theology overlap. Take a good look at that. Realize you're electing a president, not a pastor, politician, not a pastor. So that we've got different things in that. We're not just one, one note Johnny's on these subjects. And then we're able to, when the righteous rule, uh, you know, the people prosper is what Proverbs says. Since we're going to get together and record some of these, uh, I'm going to jump to jump to the end because uh, three different guys asked, how can we pray for you as a pastor? And uh, how can we, as the men of the church, support and pray for you? Yeah, good. Um, one, man, I love what I do, and I'm doing great. Nobody's beat me up. I don't have an in- inbox filled with complaints. I get 99 words of encouragement for every one of, of critique. So but that's not an invitation. That's yeah, not an invitation yeah. to to be the ninety one to, to balance no, that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just to say, um, I think a lot of times people feel really sorry for me and my family, <laughs> you know. And we're doing great, and we love what we're doing. Um, I would ask you to pray for wisdom. I would ask you to pray for leadership. Um, would uh, what I would ask you to pray for, and I'd ask you to pray for resting in God. Um, uh, if you would, if you would pray for that, and, and just good old rest on that. Um, I have a 13-year-old, I have a 7-year-old, I have a job that has a lot of responsibility, and, and I'm on the go a lot. And it's not because I'm a workaholic. It's because I don't want to miss my kid's football game, you know. I do want to have a date night. I do, you know, I mean, all these different things. And so, uh, you know, yesterday I got home, um, and after lunch I, I, uh, I went home, and I just took a half day of vacation and just took a nap. I was worn out, and I was like, I just can't be. I had breakfast yesterday morning. I can't go from 6 a.m. till 8 p.m. on Wednesday night and and do this. I'm just really tired, and so I just wisely called my secretary. Anything I everything okay? Yeah, just give me the 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 form we fill out on vacation. I'm taking a half day, and I'm I just went straight to sleep, you know. And I woke up, and I was a better dad. I was a better pastor when I woke up. I was a better friend when I woke up. So if you could pray for that right now, we're just in a busy kickoff school time of year uh, to be able to do. And I want to I want to be everywhere that I am. And and I'm and that's that's a prayer request. So uh, wisdom, leadership, and rest would be the the three things right now. That's great. What what I'd like to do is it's again it's rare to get to have you here because he does have so many responsibilities going on. I would love us just to pray over you. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll record these. We'll figure. I'll figure that out with Mary. Yeah, we'll perfect. we'll record these, put those up. Um, if you don't know, we do have a podcast. You can go to iTunes and type in Warrior's Heart. Uh, and then in iTunes, I send it out like it's on our Facebook page. It's on our website. And we send that out. And, and there are 66 lessons that have been taught over the last two and a half years. Uh, Dr. Fong did most of them. Great Bible teaching for you. If you have a long commute, you know, it's, each one's 30 minutes. So just an invitation. This will be added to that uh, later today. I try to get it up by 10 a.m. So um, just let that be some some way you continue to feed your soul in that. But if you would uh, step down here, uh, men, we can, why don't you just stand in the middle and you can gather around Pastor Greg. Let's just pray over him. And uh, and then when we're done with that, uh, I know I've, I told you at 7.30 we'd wrap up. But if you want to hang out a little bit. And, and maybe you had a question that you asked and I asked it or it didn't get asked. So you can even, you know, play that with the pastor here now. All right, let's gather around. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. 
We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day. Your heart's in love, the key that set you free.